0: Let's pray for the preached word. Our Our God, as we come to the time in our service, Lord, where we sit under the teaching of your word, the preaching of your word, God, we pray for our brother Julius. God, we pray, Lord, that you would give him strength, give him boldness, God, to stand firmly on your word. God, we pray that you would hide him behind your cross, Lord, that it would be your word proclaimed today, and Lord, we pray that the ears of your people would be open and our hearts would be tender, and Lord, that you would use your word to change us today. God, we trust that your word will not return void, and we thank you for that promise. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, it is a delight to be back with you after so many months, once again, to worship our God and to continue worshiping our God in the hearing and the preaching of the Word. If you would turn with me to Ephesians, if you're not already there, Ephesians chapter 5. As we're turning there, I do extend greetings to you from Faith Community Baptist Church, we love you, we pray for you. It's such a delight to think about the camaraderie that we have in our association as the churches met and gathered this past week. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his church and for the association of churches. Ephesians 5. In our text, our text this morning will be verses 22 to 33. Hear now the words of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The Lord bless the reading and now the hearing and the preaching of his holy word. The title of this message is Love in Light of the Mystery. I think we would agree that most people seek an example to follow. For some of us, it may be our parents. For others of us, it may be our, perhaps our grandparents or a close friend. I think most of us would agree that we seek an example to follow. And think with me. Who is your example? You know, examples become all the more important when particular seasons of life come our way. We tend to seek counsel and desire concrete steps when we transition from childhood to adulthood. We start thinking about our career or what car to buy or where to live. Examples are important, often desired by many. And many tend to desire it the most when they're preparing to get married. Many start thinking of what couples to spend time with and when can they meet with their pastor for their premarital counseling sessions. Many in this season will tend to ask very concrete questions. How do I love my future spouse? We can sum it up this way. The couple desires an example to love in light of. You see, the institution of marriage tends to put this very question into light. What is my example? Who do I love in light of? And that question is important to everyone. Whether you're married or you're not married. If I am to love, who do I love in light of? The main point of our text answers this very question. Who do I love in light of? Love in light. Of the mystery. And this one main point will unfold just under two headings. First, love in submission in light of the mystery. We see this in our text in verses 22 to 24. Love in submission in light of the mystery. And then, second, love sacrificially in light of the mystery. And that we see in verses 25. To 33, love sacrificially in light of the mystery. So first, love in submission, in light of the mystery. Verses 22 to 24. And I just want you to note two things here. The context for submission, we're going to look at briefly review. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. The context for this submission and then the call to submission. 22 to 24. So first the context, then the call. So think with me about the context for submission. Paul continues impressing upon the church their need to live in light of the mystery of salvation. Think about the book of Ephesians. The first time we observe the word mystery is where? In chapter 1, verse 9. And there... That word mystery is used with reference to God's purpose for all things. Paul writes there, listen, Having made known to us, he says, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that, verse 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So we ask, what lies at the very center of that mystery of his will? We can say God's marriage as it were with his people. As one wrote, behind the creation of all things stands God's purpose to accomplish the wondrous marriage of God and his people. We see this continued in chapter 1 verses 11 through 12. Hear how Paul continues there. He says, in him, Christ. Also, we, the elect, God's people, have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. You see, this context for submission is the mystery that was once hidden. And now revealed. And what is that mystery? It concerns God's marriage to his elect. This is the mystery of salvation concerning Christ's marriage to his people. Unpacked. We see this unpacked in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then in chapter 4, what do we see there? We begin to see exhortations and admonishments all in light, all in view of that mystery. So we have the revelation, you could say, of that mystery, chapters 1 through 3. And then we have how to live in light of that mystery, in chapters 4 through 6. So that's kind of the broader context of Ephesians. Think with me more immediately now at chapter 5. Paul reminded the church that the love to which they have been called is first rooted in the fact that they are children of God. Notice the beginning of chapter 5 rooted in the fact that they are children of God. And second, to be done in imitation of the Son of God. Paul writes there, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So you see, this love originates from God. Paul writes, as Christ also has loved us. And then it returns to God. Paul writes, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So it originates from God and returns to him. And it is this love, as it originates and returns to God, that is characterized, notice in chapter 5 there, by light verses 8 through 14, and wisdom, verses 15 through 21. This love, as it is worked out, is light that exposes darkness and a wisdom that discards foolishness. And almost like a bookend to chapter 5, verse 1, Christ's love is picked up and it's summed up, notice at the end of chapter 5, by the grace of of submission. Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. From chapter 5, verse 22, to chapter 6, verse 9, the one particular grace that is being applied is the grace of submission. But we ask, why submission? It's because this grace, which issues from the theological virtue of love, Love is given by God's grace. This grace that originates from God and returns to God is the seal, or we could say the stamp, of the visible mission of the Son. And what is this visible mission? It's visible because it's the mission of the Son that was seen with the eyes. As Ephesians 5.1 reads, Christ also has loved us And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. You see, the son's visible mission was a rescue mission. And that rescue mission was really an extension of the son's procession. His fromness, the father. His fromness from the father in the world. You see, the son's mission affected a unique union with the creature in the world in a new way. That might sound technical. In other words, the divine person of the Son, who is eternally from the Father, came into time and the result was, key word, union. You know what the church has called this union? The hypostatic union. Simply the one who is eternally from the Father took to himself a real human nature What do we get from the the title Father? The Father is of none. What do we get from the title Son? He is from the Father. And you know what one of the consequences of this union is? It's the subjection of our incarnate Lord. According to his human nature, Christ submitted himself perfectly in obedience to the will of the Father and this to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is why the apostle John declared, there is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and this, this is what the God-man accomplished in his work of redemption. That's the visible mission. That mission, that rescue mission, which could be seen with the eyes. But what is the seal? What is the stamp? as it were, of this visible mission. Well, the seer stamp are the invisible missions of the Son and Spirit. They're invisible because they cannot be seen with the eye. Why? Because the invisible missions are the indwelling of the souls of believers. Christ in us, the Spirit in us, and we in them. And the Son's indwelling can be seen through the grace of faith. Think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. How are sinners united to Christ? By grace through faith. You see, the Son's indwelling can be seen in the grace of faith. And the Spirit's indwelling. The Spirit's indwelling can be seen through the grace of love. Think about Paul's words in Romans 5.5 5, when he says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, it is through the graces of faith and through the grace of love that we see the invisible missions of the Son and Spirit. Faith and love are those stamps, as it were. And the color those stamps take is submission. You know what submission says? Submission says, I'm under the mission of the Son. I'm indwelt by the Son. Think of the origin of the English word submission. It comes from a Latin word, which basically means under the mission. So what does submission say? Submission says, this sinner has placed himself under the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the context for submission. The context is the marriage between God and his people, pictured in the Old Testament between Yahweh and Israel, but manifest most clearly in the visible and invisible missions of the Son. And it is with this context for submission that Paul begins addressing wives and husbands. Secondly, note here the call to submission. The call in 522 is addressed to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, notice the context for this submission. It's emphasized by the words, as to the Lord. The apostles reminding the church of the context of this submission. The context is the economy of grace. The example is the visible mission of our Lord. And this is given further explanation in verse 23. Note note there. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. What Paul's reminding wives is that by creation, the institution of marriage involves a man and woman who are husband and wife, and the husband is head of the wife. The wife has been given a head in marriage, similarly to how the church is given a head, but these heads are no tyrants. In fact, just as the head of the church in his humanity assumed the role of slave to save his bride, serving his bride to the point of death. So husbands are called to serve their wives, extending every good gift to them, withholding nothing from them. You see, this headship simply is a headship of love. The church receives the visible mission of the Son, confesses faith, In this Christ, and delights in the glorious consequences of that mission, so the wife should rejoice in the headship of love she has been granted and gladly receive the gifts that come with her marriage. But in order for the wife's experience to be happy and holy, she must submit to her husband. Our text reads, in verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You see, in order for the wife to enjoy all the gifts the Lord has instituted in marriage, she must receive it in view of the mystery of salvation. She must be subject to her husband, as verse 22 says, unto the Lord. But if it's not in view of this mystery, then her submission will feel very much like misery. It won't make sense to be in submission. <laughs> Why is that? Because husbands, while husbands are called to sacrifice, sacrificially love their wives, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't consider our wife's needs before our own. And what does that do to a wife that makes her heart ache and it brings no encouragement to receive her husband's headship with gladness. And so what are wives to do? Wives, this is the hardest part of your call to submission. The hardest part is to submit and receive your husband's loving headship even when you do not feel loved. But as verse 24 reads, wives are called to be subject to their husbands in everything. Everything refers to those very times when you don't feel loved but my sisters, you will only do so if you're looking to Christ. You only do so if you're delighting in his headship. But Christ promises to give his people grace. You ask for grace, and he will give you grace to love. He will give you grace to be subject to your husband as unto the Lord. He will give you the grace to submit to your husband in everything. Now, an important qualification needs to be made here. This text doesn't mean that receiving a husband's headship goes without saying, as if his sin is of no account here. No, his sin must be addressed. Wives, you must address your husband's sin. You must do so graciously though your husband is your superior because of the responsibility that he has been assigned by God you are as equal in nature you are an equal recipient of God's grace with him so wives you are required to address your husband's sin but address it graciously address it in the way that you would want him to address your sin you may think well this is in the heat of the moment this is impossible with me. Your spirit may be willing, but the flesh so very weak. My sisters, you need to love in light of the mystery. You need to cry out daily for sanctifying grace, increase of grace, grace to gladly receive your husband's loving headship, and grace to submit to your husband and address your husband's sins, even when he has not loved you as he should. In either case, it remains. You need to love in light of the mystery. And what does that look like? Heed his leadership over you. <laughs> Honor his words. Listen to him attentively. Allow yourself to be guided by him. Put away pride and obey him in the Lord. Obey him with modesty, with gentleness, and with Peace. My sisters, don't yield to the temptation that we have since the fall to master your husband. The Lord has given you a protector. The Lord has given you a provider. Love in submission, in light of the mystery. And saints, all of you need to love in this very way. The institution of marriage is but a picture of Christ and his church. Note what Paul says later in our passage. This is a great mystery referring to marriage. But he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. My brothers and sisters, you have been given gifts as the bride of Christ. The covenant he has made with you is the new marriage covenant. And in it, you have blessings upon blessings and they're poured over you day after day. Your husband has assumed a human nature. He was born under the common curse. He laid down his life for you. Are you rejoicing and humbly receiving the headship of Christ? Are you expressing your submission to him by gladly and readily obeying his commandments? Or do you feel unloved in the church? Do you feel unloved due to your sin or due to the sin of others against you in the church? Well, like wives, O Bride of Christ, you are called to address one another's sins graciously. Beloved, when you're not submitting to Christ's loving headship, when you're not delighting in obeying his commandments, you are not being subject to your head. But the call, the call to wives is the call to all the saints. Look to the visible mission of the Son, Look to his great work of redemption. Behold your incarnate Lord who has come and made you his bride. Trust in your Savior. Rest in your protector. Rejoice in your provider and be subject to him. Respect him. Listen to him. And express your love to him by how? Loving the church. Loving his bride. And loving his bride even when you don't feel Loved. Saints love in submission in light of the mystery. But Paul continues addressing husbands to love sacrificially in light of the mystery. Note verses 25 to 33. You know, much can be said here, but I want to focus on two things. First, again, the context for sacrifice in verses 24 to 27, and then the call to sacrifice, in verses 28 to 33. So the context and the call. First note the context for sacrifice. The context for sacrifice is the same for submission. It is the visible mission of our Lord. In the Son's visible mission, we have what again? An extension of His eternal procession in time. What happened? It affected a unique union with the creature. Again, that's the hypostatic union. And one of the consequences of this union is not only subjection, but we see the priesthood of our incarnate Lord. How is Christ, what 523 calls, the Savior of the body? Verse 25 answers with, He gave himself for her. In the priesthood of our Lord, he offered up himself a sacrifice for the sin of his bride, the church. In the priesthood of our Lord, he interceded for his bride, who was previously a harlot, giving herself to the creatures of this world instead of to her creator and sustainer. But the God-man gave himself up either way. Why? Verses 26 and 27. Paul goes on to give the answer. And it can be summarized in this way. Christ came to wash his bride and present his bride. You see, Christ took perfect care of his bride, all muddied with sin from head to toe. Every one of those sins he bore upon himself so that the, world, the word he speaks to her are words of forgiveness. The words Christ speaks to his church are words of justification, words of sanctification. He announces forgiveness to her. He declares his righteousness over her. He speaks grace upon grace to her. After Christ's visible mission, his incarnation, we observe the invisible mission of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do but take what is the bridegroom's and applies it to the bride who has already been accepted, who has already been made clean? The Son and Spirit in their invisible missions indwell the bride and by the word minister to her through the virtues of faith, hope, and love. And on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, the church is being prepared unlike any other day for the consummation, for the completion of her marriage to the Lord. This is the mystery we confess. And all this All this so that Christ may one day come and consummate that union that has already begun. And on that day when the bride is presented to her bridegroom, as our text reads, a glorious church, she will then be without spot or wrinkle or anything like it. And she will perfectly enjoy the life of God. She will perfectly enjoy the life of the blessed Trinity being holy and without blemish. Do you feel the weight of this mystery? Do you feel the grandeur of this mystery? This is the mystery that we confess. This is the context for sacrificial love. We miss this and we don't have it. And it is with this context for sacrifice that Paul begins addressing husbands. Note the call here. The call to sacrifice. The call of verse 25 is repeated in verse 28. In verse 25 we have, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And note in verse 28 we have, So husbands ought to love their own wives Here the call to sacrifice is directed to husbands. The head of the wife is to be what? A sacrificial head. Remember, this is a loving headship. But Paul knows that in order for husbands to understand what this means, they too must be directed to what? The visible mission of the son. Christ's sacrificial love is what? The supreme example for a husband's sacrificial love. This is what you need to study. This is what I need to study as husbands. The sacrificial love of Christ. It's important to note that this text does not mean that a husband love in any way atones for the sins of his wife. Paul's addressing manner versus measure here. Every husband is what? A mere man and no mere man can offer satisfaction to the father. The example to husbands is not found in one of, you could say, the results of Christ's sacrificial love, the salvation of sinners. Rather, the example is found in the act of Christ's sacrificial love itself. The virtue of love that was perfectly exhibited by the God-man, our Lord. It is the love of Christ that is in view here. So what Paul does from here is clarify what the husband's sacrificial love should look like in action. But in verse 28, Paul begins by turning to the ground of a husband's sacrificial love. Apart from this ground, no sacrificial love can ever be built. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, what does verse 28 mean? It doesn't mean any material identification between the husband who is composed of a separate substance than his wife. It doesn't mean that. Nor does this mean that marriage is essential for the perfection of one's nature. But what verse 28 does mean is that the husband is to love his wife because he is in Union with her. And this union is the ground for his sacrificial love. A union has taken place. A union instituted at creation. This is confirmed by verse 31. If you note there, Paul writes, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So it's this union Instituted at creation that serves as the ground of the husband's sacrificial love. It is this union instituted by God that sets the context for other, all the other particulars. So verse 28 stated broadly and positively is the idea that a husband's loving of his wife is like a husband's loving of himself because husband and wife are in a real union the union of marriage. It's important to note that this is a mixed article of the faith. By mixed article, we mean that it could be argued for both from the light of nature, the book of creation, and the light of Scripture. All this says it is incumbent upon a husband to love his wife. And so if this is the case, and it is, then every sacrificial act of love is to be carried out in view of this union. The husband is to act from this real union that God has established between him and his wife. This takes us back to Ephesians 5, verses 29 and 30. This is how real this union is. Paul writes, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We can ask, what are the particular sacrificial acts of love that a husband has been called to? The husband is called to nourish his wife and to cherish his wife. To nourish and cherish can be understood together to refer to the care of both the temporal and the spiritual needs of the wife. But who, again, who is the husband's example? Christ. Note the words, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. As one has said, we are made one with Christ, not only with his deity or his soul, but also with his flesh. This is the spiritual union, the whole of us with the whole Christ. In all this, we see that the relation between the husband and his wife, there's a likeness to that between a husband and his own body and the relation between Christ and the church. Christ took the form of a slave to meet every single need of his bride. The husband is called to imitate him in denying himself for the comfort of his wife and in thinking of her needs before his own needs. Husbands, this is to be your preoccupation in view of the mystery of Christ and his church. But what about when the wife doesn't receive? What about when your wife doesn't acknowledge and you don't feel loved? Husbands, this could be the hardest part of your call to sacrifice. When you give yourself up and your wife doesn't acknowledge it. When you put her needs before your own and your needs are never asked about. But know verse 25. Husbands are called to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did that act look like? It was gracious. Christ extended himself to a harlot that was deserving of no lover. That act of Christ was sacrificial. A degree of service was extended that no, that in no way, no way can receive return. We ascribe praise to God. We don't give him something that he does not already possess in himself. It was gracious, it was sacrificial. It involved self-denial. Christ loved to the point of exhaustion. Christ loved his disciples with little sleep. Christ loved his disciples even when they accused him, even when they mocked him, even when they disrespected and dishonored him. My brothers, Christ's love is utterly unique, but Christ's love is the pattern for your love to your wife you can only learn to love in this way. I can only learn to love in this way if we're looking to Christ. We will only do so if we are delighting in, again, Christ's headship. And for this, for this we need grace. And Christ promises to give us grace upon grace upon grace. You ask for grace and he will give you the grace to love your wife. You ask for grace, and he will give you the grace to be patient with her, to hold your own tongue, to not bring up her sin, to not isolate yourself in selfishness. Brothers, you ask for grace, and the Lord will give you grace to rule wisely, to guide her tenderly, to serve your wife, and to forgive her when she sins against you. You ask for grace, and he will give you the grace to pray for her when she sins against you, to know when to address her sin. And when love covers a multitude of sin and you do not address it, you ask for grace and he will give you grace to know how to address your wife's sin. But remember, she's a fellow recipient of grace with you. And that means when you address your wife's sin, do it graciously. Do it as you would want her to address your own sin. And above this, be ready and be quick to admit your sin against her. To confess that sin to her. My brothers, don't yield to the temptation since the fall to domineer over your wife. Love sacrificially in light of the mystery. Whether you're a wife or a husband, I exhort you with the very words of Paul. Note the words in verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And saints, again, all of you, all of us need to love in this way. No one is exempt from this way. As verse 32 reads, this is a great mystery. But Paul says, I speak concerning what? Christ and the church. My prayer as I have been preaching is that you are stirred up to recount the gifts that you possess. You are the bride of Christ. The blessings of the new covenant are your blessings, such as the permanent and perpetual forgiveness of sins and the law written upon your heart. And that's just to name a couple. Saints, your husband, as the God-man, seated at the right hand of the Father, continually intercedes for you because of the invisible missions of the Son and Spirit, whereby he indwells the souls of his people. By faith and love, you are being strengthened You are being comforted. You are being protected daily. He is providing for you all that you need. But I ask you, are you expressing your submission to Christ with gladness? Are you denying yourself to follow after Christ? Are you putting the needs of His bride, the needs of this church before your own needs? Are you loving even when you're not loved? When one Sunday you come and you go and you didn't feel loved by the church? Are you loving even when you're not loved by the bride of Christ? When you're maligned, when someone says something and it may have offended you? When you're despised by the bride of Christ? Church-like husbands, you are called to a gracious, sacrificial, and self-denying love. Love. The call to husbands is the call to all the saints. This is not just a marriage passage. This concerns the greatest mystery. So I encourage you, look. Look to Christ. Look to the visible mission of the Son. Look to His great work of redemption. Don't be like, you know what, I already looked at that. I already know Just take it casually. Look again. Contemplate it again. Because the deeps don't have no bottom. There's no bottom to this mystery. Keep contemplating it. Look to your Lord who has come and made you his bride. The new covenant is a new marriage covenant. Don't just know the right answers to the Baptist catechism live in light of it. By knowledge and love, let us ascend and be conformed more into the image of Christ and learn to love his bride. Saints, love sacrificially in light of the mystery. And I know there are unbelievers present among us. And I'm here to say by the authority of Christ, you are not a member of this Body. All that we have spoken of here, this marriage, you are not a member of, but you have heard of this rescue mission of the Son of God, His submission and His sacrifice, and so I exhort you, come. My friend, you won't be left without excuse for denying such a husband, such a mediator, such a redeemer. Come to Jesus Christ. Cast yourself upon him. He will give you grace to come. So come. You say, well, I'm, I'm muddied with sin. I don't know that I can come. You ask for grace and you will come. Come. He will give you grace to come. Turn from your sins. Christ has paid the penalty for the sins of his people. For all who believe, if you come, as the church described here, you will be washed you will be made clean, you will be righteous, you will be blameless, and one day you will be presented before him face to face. Come to Christ. Come to this bridegroom. The institution of marriage, as was said in the beginning, it tends to put into focus this question. What is my example? Who do I love in light of? Oh, husbands and wives, my brothers and sisters, let us look afresh, let us look anew, let us learn to contemplate and study the most excellent marriage between Christ and the church. Now, perhaps some of you, even if not now, later, um, are asking this question that a Puritan long ago asked how shall I do to love? This Puritan wrote, if you ask how shall I do to love, I answer believe. If you ask how shall I believe, he writes, I answer love. He says, believe and you shall love. Believe much and you shall love much. Labor for long and deep persuasions of the glorious things that are spoken of Christ. And this will command love. That's why we can't be casual about this. We can't be casual here. We need deep persuasions of this glorious thing. He says, seek to believe Christ's excellency in himself and his love to us and our interest in him. And this will kindle such a fire in the heart as will make it ascend in a sacrifice of love to him the soul that is possessed with this love of Jesus Christ, the soul which have its eye much upon Him, often thinking on this former sufferings and present glory, the more it looks upon Christ, the more it loves, and still the more it loves, the more it delights to look upon Him. Do you believe this? Are you looking to Christ? Perhaps some of you are still thinking of now your your neglect of this. You haven't loved as you ought. When you have neglected this privilege and your heart has grown cold, come to him and ask that he wash you. Come to Christ and trust that he will do what he says he will do. He will give you grace. He will give us grace. So let us continue Let us continue to learn to love in light of the mystery. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, we do confess our unbelief. We have not loved as we ought. And even when we have listened and we have heard how we should love, we still have failed to love as we ought. Father, give us grace, greater grace, increase of grace, to contemplate this great mystery of Christ's love for the church. That He indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our bridegroom, and we indeed are His bride. Oh, let us look afresh. Let us look anew. Let us take these truths which we have considered ever so briefly, but lay them up in our hearts and put them into practice in our lives. And if there be any sin within us, O Lord, that we have overlooked, Father, may you grant us grace to examine ourselves and to confess it and look afresh upon Christ, who by his blood and righteousness washes us. To remember that promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh Lord, we long for the consummation of this marriage. We long when we will not sin against our bridegroom anymore. We long for that beautiful vision of you. We ask for grace as we continue this pilgrimage home in heavenward. Through Christ, our perfect bridegroom, we pray. Amen.